Well, again, welcome to everyone here today and to all of those of you that are watching online here with us this morning. My name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis, if we've never met before. And we're continuing in our series today uh, called What to Say When You Pray. And if you've got a Bible and want to grab that, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, it's the first book in the New Testament. Uh, for the last few weeks, we have been studying through the Lord's Prayer together so that we can better understand the meaning of Jesus' words, but we're also looking at the Lord's Prayer as a model, as an example for how we can pray and a guide really for how we can pray and maybe be a little more effective in that because uh, maybe you want to pray, but you don't know how. Uh, no one's ever taught you before or provided any guidance for you. Maybe maybe you've tried praying before, but you've found that it's a grind and it, it's a struggle. Maybe uh, if you're like me at times, maybe you found prayer to be the perfect solution to insomnia, right? I mean, it just, it can do that to us once in a while. You start praying and the next thing you know, uh, you're asleep. Understanding the Lord's Prayer has been one of the most beneficial things for me in growing in my own personal prayer life. And I want to take a moment just to demonstrate what I mean by that. I, I've uh, included here a picture of, of my prayer journal this morning. And I don't know if you have a system that works for you. I have found using a prayer prayer journal to be very helpful for me. It slows me down. It keeps me focused. And so here's just an example of uh, from November the 13th uh, of a morning for me in prayer. And I've usually got some Bible reading that I'm doing as well. And so right now I've just restarted reading through the Bible. And so on this particular day, I read through Genesis 12 and through 15 and then also Psalm 4. And then I'll write down some observations, just some things that jumped out at me uh, as I was reading through the text, uh, maybe some things that the Lord might have for me, and sometimes even write out for some verse by verse and find that to be very helpful in kind of getting it into my mind and getting it into my thoughts. But as you can see at the bottom of the first page here, this is where I actually begin my prayer. And uh, following the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, just beginning with the word Father. Again, this is about a relationship. Uh, we're cultivating a relationship with God, spending time with Him, learning to have conversation with Him. And so I wrote out here, Father, it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for meeting me here for all of your promises. I've been anxious. Uh, I'm tired. Help me restore my strength. And then continuing into the next portion of the prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. And so this is where I'm thinking about my part and why God has called me here and the, the plans he has for me and for my family and, and for our church. And so I'll pray and I'll talk to the Lord about these things. And then the our daily bread portion, the first half of the Lord's prayer is about getting our minds focused on who God is and his glory. The second half of the prayer is where we come before him really with our needs and the our daily bread portion is a great place to do that where we just lay out those things in our lives that are concerning us, those things that we have questions about. And so I'll pray for my family, pray for my wife and kids. Over to the right there, I pray for my mom and dad, my, my mother-in-law who's recovering from a stroke. I, I pray for people like our Noblesville campus pastor, Ben Krause, because he needs a lot of prayers, all right? He needs a lot of help. Um, but I'll just pray for some things on my own heart. It's a it's an opportunity to be great, you know, to extend gratitude, to give the Lord thanks. Pray for the big things. Pray for our church. This has been helpful for me. Uh, maybe you'd find journaling, prayer journaling, uh, helpful uh, for you too. But today we're going to continue uh, looking at these next words of Jesus. But I got to warn you, uh, this is where it starts to get a little tricky and starts to get a little 
personal. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, when Jesus prays, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Two things that Jesus invites us to do here. The first is to take time in our prayers to remember the forgiveness that we've received. If you've trusted Christ, all right, that you have new life, that you have forgiveness in him, but also a place to evaluate because maybe yesterday didn't go so well. And maybe you talk to your wife or to your husband in a way like you shouldn't have or your kids. And so sometimes we come before the Lord and he reveals some things, puts it on our heart and our minds and, well, we need to do something about it. We need to take a next step. But the other side of that too is we also pray and ask God to help us forgive others. And so often that's where the problem lies. Uh, That's really where the challenge comes in because forgiveness is difficult, isn't it? I mean, think about it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, who doesn't want a little grace? I mean, we all want a little grace and, and, a for, and forgiveness when you mess up. But when someone hurts you and all of a sudden you've got to turn around and extend that same grace and forgiveness to someone else, well, that's when we discover how difficult forgiveness can be, especially if you've ever been cheated on. If you've gone through something like that or maybe you were passed over uh, for a role, an assignment at work that should have gone to you. Uh, Maybe mom and dad divorced when you were young, when you were at home, and you got caught up in the middle of it. Maybe a a, a past friend said some nasty things behind your back or worse yet, to your face. Uh, Someone hurt your child. Or maybe someone stole your childhood away. And it's been years, but you're still hurting. Whatever it is, someone owes you something, and you're stuck with a debt all right, that should have never gone to you, should have been yours in the first place. And so at every day, it leaves you with this question. What are you going to do with those in debt to you? Like, what are you going to do with that wound? Or uh, what are you going to do about that broken relationship in your life? And what's our responsibility as followers of Jesus when it comes to extending grace and forgiveness to those that have hurt us? Because you've got options when you think about it. I mean, anytime someone has hurt you or offended you, like you can spend the rest of your life making them pay, all right? That's one option. You can let what happened control you, influence you, ruin your life, all right? It can do that. Some of those past wounds can. Or you can open yourself up to the possibility that Jesus offers an alternative, that there's something better for you and for everyone. And it's found in his prayer. Again, it's in Matthew 6, verse 12, when Jesus prayed and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, debts and debtors, those aren't unfamiliar terms, but they aren't necessarily words that we use every day, at least in this context. But the New Living Translation spells it out a little more clearly when Jesus says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, Why, why did Jesus include these words and this instruction in the heart of this great prayer? Why forgiveness? Because friends, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus came to give his life for. Sin threatens It threatens to destroy our world. It threatens to ruin lives. But Jesus in his resurrection means there is another way, that there is a better way to live. And it's because of Jesus that we can experience forgiveness. It's because of Jesus that we can experience peace of God in this world. And it's because of Jesus and the forgiveness that he has offered to us that we can and should extend grace and forgiveness 
to others. It reminds me of a story I saw on the news a couple of years back uh, about a guy by the name of Kyron Healy. I think I uh, pronounced his name right, uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina. He received his water bill in the mail. And as you can see here, the balance due wasn't what was uh, uncommon, a little alarming, $189. It was the service fee of $99,999,999 that got his attention. And so he decided to have a little fun with the water company. He went to Twitter and he asked the water company, hey, can I repay the service fee in monthly payments. And uh, the water company quickly responded, made the correction, apologized for the air. When it comes to the pain and the brokenness that's existing in our world today, sin is the culprit. All right, sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, and because of sin, we all owe an incredible debt to God that we are not capable of resolving or paying on our own. And just so that we're on the same page, when we're talking about sin here, it's an archery term that means to miss the mark, all right, to miss the bullseye. The Bible says that we are to be perfect as God in heaven is perfect, and so anytime we're less than perfect, we sin. And that's a big problem for each of us, all right, not just some of us, but all of us. All right, as the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, God's penalty for our sin is death. And because we all sin and we're all incapable of perfection, we're stuck with a debt that we could never possibly resolve or pay for on our own. But that's why Jesus Christ is such good news for us. Because as the Apostle Paul continues, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God sent his son Jesus Christ into this world and Jesus lived life the way life was intended to be lived. And he never turned away from God and he never sinned and he went to the cross and he gave his life and he took on your sin and my sin and he paid the debt that we could never pay ourselves. And the Apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The point is this, it doesn't matter how good or how bad you think you are. It's not, it doesn't matter how good I think I am. All right, we all have a sin problem. But Jesus, Jesus He's the vaccine, if you would. Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin, and it's why as he was hanging on the cross, he spoke these words, some of his final words, when he said, it is finished. Also translated, paid in full. Jesus paid the debt that we could never pay, and he offers that. Here's, here's the best news. He offers that reward, that gift to everyone, to anyone. Any of you here this morning, any of those that are watching online, watching this at another time, his forgiveness is available to every person alive today. And again, it doesn't matter how bad or how good you think you are. There's no sin that Jesus' death and resurrection will not cover. Can I say that again? There is no sin that Jesus' death and resurrection will not cover. But that leads to something really important. And that is that this reward that's made available to us through Jesus Christ, it's not automatically applied to your account or automatically applied to your life. You have to make the conscious decision to receive it. 
You, you have to receive it for yourself. You have to trust Christ as your Savior. How do you do that? Well, when you repent of your sins, when you acknowledge those sins in your life and make that conscious decision of I want to turn away from my past and instead surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you choose to allow Christ's payment for sin to cover your life. And by the way, that's the greatest decision that you can ever make in this world and with this one and only life that you've been given the decision to trust Christ and to receive his forgiveness. And the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about Christ's forgiveness for us is that it covers our sins from our past. It covers sins from our present and for the future. Now, that doesn't give us liberty. That doesn't give us freedom or permission to go on and live however we want to live, reckless sort of lives. No, his forgiveness is an invitation into an entirely new way of living a life that Jesus modeled for us and invites us into over and over again. It's a life, believe it or not, that Jesus paints and describes with the Lord's Prayer. It's one where we daily walk with a Father who loves us deeply and desires to be in a relationship with us. It's a life determined to live for something greater in this world, that you're not just living for the next paycheck. You're not living for retirement. You're not living for the bigger house, but you want God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in your life and through your life on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a life where we take all of our worries and it's a life where we take all of our needs every day before God, seeking his wisdom, seeking his will and his desire because we know he cares. And it's a life where we regularly remember our own forgiveness. And as Jesus points out in this prayer, it's because of the forgiveness we've received and the new life that we have in the Lord that comes through it that we should also extend that same grace and that same forgiveness to others. And that's why daily prayer and time alone with the Lord is critical. If you're gonna make it, if I'm going to make it in this world as a follower of Jesus, we have to learn how to pray. We have to spend time before the Lord each day reflecting on, on previous day, looking to what's ahead, asking the Lord for wisdom to give us the guidance, the strength, and the answers that we need to help us see where we need ongoing forgiveness and grace and where we need to extend that to others as well. Because it's one thing to receive it. But Jesus says that we also have the responsibility to give it, to extend it. And sometimes that's easy. And while we all know that other times it can be one of the most difficult things you'll ever wrestle with. Some of you know the story of Corey Ten Boom, uh, a Dutch Christian. Uh, Corey, her sister Betsy, and her parents hid Jews in their home in Amsterdam during the Holocaust in World War II, and the Nazis eventually discovered their hideout. Corey and her sister were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Betsy died there, uh, but Corey survived and went on to be a great speaker and writer for the Lord. And in one of her most well-known writings, she recalls the day she was forced to face her greatest enemy. Let me read a little bit of this account to you. She writes, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. 
and it was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, and they're gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite, quite daring to believe there were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People would stand up in silence and walk out of the room, and that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next moment I pictured a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. All of a sudden it came back with a rush, a huge room, with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skim. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we sent. And now he was in front of me with his hand extended a fine message, Fräulein, how good it is to know, as you say, that all of our sins are at the bottom of the ocean. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He didn't remember me. Of course, how could he could, one prisoner among thousands of women, but I remembered him distinctly. It was the first time since my release I had come face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. He didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? Corey writes, I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. My sister died in that place. How could this moment erase her terrible death? It couldn't have seemed many seconds that I stood there. Again, his hand held out, but seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. Stop there. Forgiveness is hard when it gets personal when it gets personal, like we all want, we all need forgiveness. And whether it's from someone that we love or someone we, we've hurt and, and certainly from God, but when it's time to extend forgiveness to someone else, that's where the difficulty comes rushing in. So let's, let's just take a few minutes. Um, what's Jesus implying about forgiveness? And, and how do we practice this with others? Here's what we learn about Jesus and what he had to teach about forgiveness here and in other places as well. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this, that forgiveness is required. As followers of Jesus Christ, we, we have a responsibility to forgive others. And I realize that might sound a little strong, but again, if you're a follower of Jesus, forgiveness is, is mandatory. I mean, Jesus said, we should pray, forgive us our debts, what? As we are also forgiving our debtors. And then if you drop down a few verses later here in Matthew, right after this prayer, notice in your Bible, Jesus adds this in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive 
your sins. Now, this doesn't mean that our willingness or unwillingness to forgive is somehow putting our own salvation in jeopardy. Now, what Jesus is trying to stress here is that if you find yourself unwilling to forgive over and over again, it might mean that you don't fully grasp what has been accomplished for you because we forgive, according to Jesus, because we've been forgiven. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy, right? That doesn't make it any easier, but, but I wonder if it might be helpful for just a second to address what forgiveness isn't. And I heard somebody explain it like this this past week, and I found this to be really helpful. But, but, but we, we kind of have an idea of what forgiveness is. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But what forgiveness isn't? All right, again, I heard it somebody describe it like this, if you're writing this down. First of all, forgiveness isn't condoning. All right, forgiveness isn't condoning. Like some of you have gone through some horrible, horrible things in your life. Forgiveness doesn't mean you all of a sudden decide that was okay or that it doesn't matter or that nothing changes because of it, all right? And so forgiveness isn't condoning. At the same time, forgiveness isn't forgetting either, all right? It's, it's not forgetting. Like, you, you can forgive someone and still establish appropriate boundaries, and sometimes those are very necessary. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to continue in relationship with the other person either. Like if, especially if somebody's hurting you or if somebody has threatened you or, or threatened people that you love. Like you can get out and you can stay out and you can stay out forever but still learn how to forgive. Um, forgiveness isn't reconciliation. Uh, they're separate. This was incredibly helpful for me when somebody uh, described for me, helped me understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. If, if forgiveness is required of us as Christians, reconciliation isn't required. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's something to be prayed for. Reconciliation is something to be hoped for. But you could kind of say like this, while forgiveness is a one-way street where you are responsible for your own actions in the matter, reconciliation is a two-way street where both parties have to be heading in the same direction together. You've got to be working towards the same goal. And so as followers of Jesus, we are required to forgive others, but reconciliation may not be a reality, and that's okay. And again, it takes time and it takes effort, and sometimes it's not possible, and there are times when reconciliation may not even be wise. At the same time, forgiveness isn't clearing someone of appropriate consequences either. Like you can forgive someone, but that other person might have to live with the consequences of their actions for the rest of their lives. And so that's just, I realize, a brief flyover of what forgiveness isn't. What is it? Well, I've always ap appreciated this definition. In the simplest terms, forgiveness means to cancel the debt. It means to say, I, you don't owe me anything any longer. I'm not going to hold this over you, that I'm not going to hold what you did against me any longer, that I'm not going to allow this to rule my life, to ruin my days, to stand in the way of the healing and everything that God wants to do in me, and honestly, so that it doesn't stand in the way of what he wants to do in your life either. And I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect, and we both need Jesus. We both need his grace and his forgiveness, and I'm just choosing to forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. That sounds great, right? We'd all agree that sounds great, but how in the world do you do that? Here's something else that I think is important. Forgiveness is a process. It's a process. It, it takes time. It would be nice if forgiveness was this one-time event. You could just resolve it in your mind. You know, if we were that good, we could forgive. The other person would understand. They'd apologize. You'd seek forgiveness. There'd be reconciliation. You'd go on with your lives, and everything would be perfect and whole, right? But I'm not Jesus. You aren't either. 
right? It doesn't always work like that. But it's helpful to be reminded that it is a process. And because forgiveness is a process, can't you see why daily time with your Father in heaven is so critical to it? Of coming before him, going before God, seeking his help and his trust. And, and sometimes that means seeking a better understanding for something that's just happened. Or, or maybe it's the continued hurt and pain from something that happened a long time ago and every day you just keep bringing this before the Lord and it's in these moments of desperation and pouring out your heart before God that we see and encounter a God and how loving he really is and his work in us and his grace. And if you've got hurt and forgiveness in your life, I mean, you may need to seek help from a friend. You might need to get your small group together and get them praying for you. You might need to seek the help of a professional, but you should also seek the help of your heavenly Father because forgiveness is a process. It takes time, and you may think you've forgiven somebody in your life only to have it come back at you once again. The wounds are still there, and so sometimes we got to keep asking God to help us to forgive, but it's worth the effort. And why? Because not only is it an act of obedience to forgive, but forgiveness also leads to something else. Forgiveness leads to freedom and it leads to victory. It leads to freedom and victory because Satan wants us to believe that if you forgive, you lose. That if you forgive, you, you're weak. You're given in too easy. The opposite is true. If you harbor bitterness and hatred in your life, you lose. It's like what Anne Lamott says when she writes, bitterness is like eating rat poison and hoping the other person dies. Doesn't work like that, does it? I mean, that's what resentment and bitterness are like. It, it doesn't hurt the person you hate as much as it hurts you. And that's why the Bible says, see to it that no bitter root grows up in you to defile you or to destroy you and to destroy others. That, that's the danger of an unwillingness to forgive. It leads to bitterness and resentment that becomes like this bitter root. And how does that happen? Well, I, you know, I think we've all been there before. Like, I mean, when you, when you hold a grudge against someone else, your unwillingness, my unwillingness to forgive, like you think about it, you ruminate on it, man, you have conversations, drop down knockouts with that person over and over again. You always win, right? That conversation too, but you replay it over and over again. But sometimes that person that's hurt you, right or wrong, they've gone on with their life and you haven't. You can't let it go. And that's part of the reason why we need to forgive too. That's why God wants to help us to forgive. Because forgiveness, it, it can free you, and sometimes it frees the other person as well. But do you know what? You're not responsible for how the other person responds. You and I, we're responsible for our actions, responsible for ourselves. And Jesus, he came to model the way life was intended to be lived. And if you and I are going to truly follow Jesus in this world, we've got to forgive. We have to learn to forgive. And maybe right there, you know what, maybe you're like, you know what, I get it. Um, I don't even disagree. I know that's the answer. But I don't know how. I don't even know where to start. And that's why Jesus, he keeps pointing to prayer. That's why Jesus modeled prayer. That's why Jesus so often was found over and over again by his disciples alone with the Father He's spending time in prayer because here's the thing, the last thing for you, no matter what, forgiveness begins with prayer. Uh, no matter where you are, no matter what happened, 
no matter what your next step may be, it, it always begins with prayer. And you may need to have a conversation with someone else. And again, you may need to seek help and support. But most importantly, when it comes to forgiving, the place to begin and continue is prayer. Again, because prayer is how we seek the Lord's help. Prayer is where we find the wisdom that we need. Prayer is where healing is at, and it's through prayer that we're reminded of what Christ did for us and what he can do for others too. Let me read the rest of Corey's story to you. She continues, it couldn't have been seconds when he stood there hand held out, but it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. All right, because if you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland. This is so important. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter the physical scars, but those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I know that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus helped me. Help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but you need to supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. It's a fascinating story. She continues on describing that it was a continual struggle. She had to keep coming back to the Lord every day in order to have the strength to keep forgiving this particular man and others. But our God's good for it. He loves that time with us. He loves that time with you. I hope you'll turn to him in prayer. Let's say these words together as we close. If you'll say them out loud with me. Uh, we know them as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, let's read them from the screen beginning with our Father. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then adding verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I want to give you a moment to just pause and reflect, maybe go before the Lord. Maybe he's got something very special, something in particular that he's impressed upon your heart today. You take a few moments with the Lord and then our band will lead us in this last song.